the community? How can we best meet the needs around us? And they were expecting and kind of hoping the mayor would say, hey, we need you all to start a clothes closet because there are a lot of people who need clothes in this community. We need you to start an after-school mentoring program. We need you um, to begin doing a, a program that helps shuttle people all around. They expected answers like that, and that's kind of where their minds were already going. But the mayor said something that went in a little bit of a different direction. The mayor of their city told them this. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And he went on to tell them that relationships are often more effective than programs because relationships are organic and ongoing. And so instead of starting a mentoring program that has some funding for a few years and some energy and then it eventually fizzles out, he said, look, if people would begin mentoring kids in their neighborhood, they have closer proximity, they, they have more time with them, they're able to do life together. If neighbors would begin actually giving rides to people in need for medical care, then people would have rides on a more consistent basis. And as the mayor was explaining all of this, you can imagine the pastors became a little embarrassed. Because basically they went to their mayor saying, hey, how can we help you? And the mayor said back to them, I think the best thing your church can do is for its people to begin loving their neighbors. Pretty embarrassing situation to be in as a pastor. But then it got more embarrassing, it got worse for them, because one city official came to them, this group of pastors, and they said, you know what's interesting? From our experience and observations... There's really not a significant difference between how Christians treat their neighbors, that is the people around them, and how non-Christians treat their neighbors. From the city's perspective, it doesn't really make a difference. And they were shocked. They were embarrassed and they began going around to other cities, talking with other city officials, mayors, people in the government, and they kept hearing the same thing. That if people began actually loving their neighbors a lot of these problems would be solved in their communities. And they kept hearing the same thing, that there really wasn't a difference in most cities between how Christians treated the people next door and how non-Christians treated the people next door. And so after these experiences, Jay, Dave, and some other pastors began a neighboring movement, a movement encouraging people to take the second half of the great commandment seriously and literally. And some of you here, you might know what the great commandment is. This is the commandment that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament law? Jesus said this. You can say it if you know it with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. What's interesting is that one city official said that in communities where people know the names of their neighbors, crime is 60% lower. One study in 2011 found that people who said they knew and trusted their neighbors were more likely to report higher rates of health and well-being than those who said they did not know or trust 
their neighbors. And then if you just look at one recent example in Hurricane Harvey in Houston, the first responders in the midst of that crisis, so often it wasn't the firefighters, it wasn't the policemen, it wasn't the National Guard, it was people's neighbors. It was the people living next door who helped rescue one another and get each other to safety and provide for one another's needs. Now, if you've been in church a while, you know the great commandment, you know the second half, love your neighbor. And if you're like me, you probably have a t-shirt with it on there, you probably have it on a bracelet or on some bumper sticker somewhere. But if you're anything like me, you know that you're supposed to love your neighbors, but you probably don't know much about what's going on in the neighbor's houses around you. You just know that there's that one neighbor, their grass... It just gets higher and higher and higher until finally it gets about waist high and you and all of your other neighbors are calling the HOA and somebody has to come cut it with a bush hog because it is so thick. Does anybody have that neighbor here? Then there's that other neighbor. You don't know much about him, but you just know that there's always a million toys scattered around the yard and it's like they have a yard sale every single day weekend. Anybody have that neighbor? That's you. Then still, there, there's, that, there's that one neighbor, you, you don't even know what's going on in that house. You know somebody lives there, you think somebody lives there, but you're not quite sure. And then finally, there's that one neighbor, you don't know her name, but you know her because every time you come back to your house after like 10 p.m., she's peering through the blinds at you. <laughs> Don't know why, don't know how she knows when you're coming and going. If you're anything like me, you know enough about your neighbors to make some quick judgments about them, but you don't really know what's going on behind their doors. If you're anything like me, you can probably relate to the expert in the law who comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 10 and has a conversation with him about what it means to be a neighbor. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10, in verse 25, when this expert in the law comes to Jesus and is trying to trick him. He's trying to challenge him. And beginning in verse 25, Luke writes this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? This is common. Oftentimes when people ask Jesus a question, he asks them a question back. So the man replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? You catch what's going on here? This guy, he knows what he's supposed to do. He knows the greatest commandment, love God and love his neighbors. He's answered correctly, but here he follows up with Jesus with this other question. He says, but who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? 
And another way of putting that is, who isn't my neighbor? Who do I not have to love? Because he knew that people all have different definitions of neighbors. So if he could find a loophole, if he could find a definition of neighbor that fit with the people he was already loving, then he wouldn't really have to change much about his lifestyle. He could simply pat himself on the back and continue on his way. But Jesus doesn't let him off that easily. Jesus, as he so often does, instead of giving a straightforward answer, Jesus tells a story. He gives the man a parable. It's one some of you are familiar with, beginning in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But there was a Samaritan. And as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked the expert in the law. And the expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now for a little context, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They were enemies. And here in the story that Jesus is telling to a Jewish man, Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. He says the Samaritan is actually the one who's living out the law and who is loving his neighbor. I mean, we think that the priest would take time, have compassion, and help heal this man, but he doesn't. He looks at him and walks on the other side of the road. We might think that the Levite, who is another religious person, might stop, see the man, have pity, and help take care of his wounds, but he doesn't. Instead, it's the Samaritan who stops, takes time, sees the man, has compassion on him, helps heal his wounds, and helps get him into recovery. And one of the things Jesus is doing in this story is he is expanding the definition of neighbor. Because for, for the people who would have known this commandment, oftentimes when they would have thought, love your neighbor, they would have thought about the people around them. The people who lived near them. The people who were like them. But here, Jesus is expanding the definition of neighbor, and he's saying, no, even your enemies are your neighbors, and you have to love them. Even people who live far away from you are your neighbors, and you have to love them. 
people who hate you and people who you hate. You're called to love them as well. They're your neighbors. Jesus is giving them this graduate level definition of love. And the definition of love he gives them is that love is this big. We're called to love all people everywhere at all times. And so often, when this parable is preached, that's how we teach it. Because that's true. That is what Jesus is calling us to do here. But Jesus was assuming that they already knew that they were supposed to love the people around them. He was assuming they already knew the basics. But I think we need to get back to the basics. Because if you're anything like me, it's easy for me to love people on the other side of the world. It's easy for me to pack a shoebox and to send it abroad. And we're called to do that. We're called to love all people everywhere at all times. But what happens so often is that we're called to love everyone. And in the process of loving everyone, we don't end up loving the one who's actually right next door to us. The authors of the book, they put it this way. We've had metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbors and metaphorically things in this world have changed. And so, I think we need to love all people everywhere. But in this series, we're going to be focusing on loving the people who are right next door. Because they are our neighbors as well. They are people with names, with addresses, with phone numbers. They're people who are right beside us every single day. So I want to do a little experiment with you. This might hurt a little bit for some of you. But what I want you to do is I want you to take out this insert in your bulletin. And I want you to grab a pen in the seat back behind you. So I want you to get this image of a little neighborhood that we have on here. And I'll put it on the screen for you to help explain it. But I want you to go ahead and pull it out. This isn't a metaphorical exercise. This is a real exercise. So I want you to write your address on that square in the middle. Because that house represents your house. So go ahead and write, write your address on that house in the middle of this square. Now, these other little houses around your house represent the eight neighbors who live closest to you. And now I know that most of us don't live in a city or in a little neighborhood that's this symmetrical. So if you live in an apartment complex, these are the eight people who live closest to you. If, if you live in the country, these might be the eight houses on the same road. If you live in a neighborhood like me, these are the eight houses that are closest to you. So that's what these represent. And now, what I want you to do first is, I want you to write the names of your neighbors in each house. So the one that's closest to you, write the name of anyone you know who lives in that house, in that box. And then the one on the right side of you, the neighbor on your right, I want you to write down their names, any that you know. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you help here. If you have 
a spouse with you or a family member, y'all can work together on this exercise. So I want you to take a minute, I want you to actually do this, to just write down names, however many you know, it's okay. I know you're probably not going to know all of them, but just to kind of get you thinking, I want you to write down the names of people who live in that house. I'm doing this as well. So, okay, once you're, you're getting going and you're writing down names, I want you to continue to do that. So you can think of the names as line A. Now, I want you to think of B as this next question. I want you to write down any facts you know about the people who live in those houses. Facts that aren't obvious from watching them in their driveway. So maybe what they do for a living, a food they like, um, a hobby that they have, any kind of fact that you know about this person, I want you to go ahead and write that under their names as well. Okay, I'm going to let you keep working on that one, but I'm going to give you the final thing, and that is C. So we have A, their names, B, any facts about them, and C is going to be more significant information, like their hopes, their dreams, maybe their beliefs or, or their religion, something that would kind of require a relationship to actually know about them. I want you to put that below there for kind of part C. C is something about them that would require a relationship to discover about them, like their hopes, their dreams, um, some of their feelings about society, or maybe even politics, or um, something more significant that would require a relationship for you to really know it about them. Like, for instance, one of my neighbors, he has a hope to one day soon move out of his house and move to Midtown. That's just one of his hopes. So, discovered that about him. Yeah. Okay, you got your chart? Okay, everybody breathe. Everybody breathe out. I just want to do a quick poll. Now, in the book they call this, um, what churches have ended up calling this is the chart of shame. So, I just want this to be a shame-free environment. It's okay. It's like the pretest, right? It's like, hey, here's where we are. It's where we are. It's okay. Um, but I want to do a quick poll. If you knew the names of, t- of people who lived in two of the houses next to you, would you raise your hand? At least two. Okay. If you knew the names of people in four of the houses around you, wow, good job, six of the houses around you, eight, 
Wow! I'm blown away. Okay, for people who, who did eight, did you know B for any of them? Did you know A, B, and C? Did anybody, could anybody fill out this whole chart? Wow, okay. So the authors of this book have done this exercise with hundreds of churches all across America. And they say if, if half of the church knows half of their neighbors, you're doing better than most. So wow, we, I'm awesome. I'm thrilled today. This is great. Let's give, you, give yourselves a round of applause. We're going to try to bring our score up over these next three weeks. But so here's what they said. They said in hundreds of churches, only 10% of people can fill out all eight names. These are Christians naming their neighbors. 10% can fill out all eight names. 3% can fill out the second line, any facts about their neighbors for all eight neighbors. And only 1% of people they've done this exercise with can fill out the whole chart for everybody. It can be difficult to love the people who are right next door to us. But I think when we begin doing it, when we begin actually making an effort to love people next door, that things will begin to change in our community. So how do we do it? How do you actually get to know the people who are next door so that you can begin a loving relationship with them? The first thing I want you to know is that most relationships follow a progression and they're not instant. Relationships, they're not like a microwave. It's not instant gratification. It's more like a crock pot. Slowly, over time, and most relationships follow a progression. We'll have it up here for you, and this is in your, your bulletin if you want to fill in the notes. So most of the relationships follow this progression. First, you start off as strangers. Then you move to acquaintances. And then over time, you move to having a significant relationship with them. And it's really hard to jump over steps here. So I want you to know that as we're, we're thinking about this loving our neighbors, that it's going to take time. And in the next three weeks, we're not going to move throughout this whole sequence. This is an ongoing thing that God is calling us to, to love the people who are right around us. And the second thing I want you to know is that while we can have complicated definitions of what it means to love our neighbors... One thing that really helps in a loving relationship is to actually know their names. To actually know someone's name really helps a relationship. And, and so I want to challenge you. Your step for this week is to learn the name of one of your neighbors. To fill in one of those boxes that's on your sheet. If you got all eight of them already, I want you to fill in another line to get to know one of your neighbors more. But that's the challenge step for this week, is to get to know one of your neighbor's names. And I know this can be awkward. I know that this can actually be pretty difficult. But I want to challenge you to do it anyway. I did this chart for the first time a few years ago after I first read this book. And I was very convicted because I knew zero of my neighbors. I lived on a main highway, and, and so it was kind of hard. It wasn't super natural to encounter them. But soon after I moved in, I knew I had met my one neighbor next door, and we had a conversation, and of course, I forgot her name. 
So I'm doing this, I'm like, okay, I, I, I knew her name and I forgot it, but now I need to learn it again. And so it was around Valentine's Day, and I did remember this one fact about her. I remembered that she was a widow, that her husband had died a few years back. And so on Valentine's Day, um, Emily was over at my house, and we baked some brownies, and we simply took them over there. And I, I went to her house, I knocked on the door. I'm like most of you, I'm terrified of knocking on people's doors who I don't really know. And we simply said, hey, we know today's Valentine's Day, we were, we were doing some baking and we wanted to share these brownies with you just as a, as a sign of love this morning. And this is a little embarrassing, but I know you told me your name a while back, but I've actually forgotten your name. And she told me her name and then we moved in that moment from strangers to acquaintances. And she had forgotten my name as well, so it wasn't that awkward. And so then when we moved here, I knew that God is calling, calling me, God is calling us to love our next door neighbors. And so I was like, all right, I'm new to the neighborhood. When you're new, it's actually easier to meet people. And so I began kind of looking out for interactions. And this is the first time in my entire life I've ever lived in a neighborhood. And let me tell you what, living in a neighborhood, it is a lot easier to meet your neighbors. And so over time, as I'm cutting the grass, I saw one of the neighbors, so I just went over and said hello to him. And when he told me his name, you know what I did? I went in my phone and I typed it in so that when I forgot it, I could at least go back to it. And then I met my other neighbor just as we were getting the mail and talking and I was able to chat with him, get to know him a little bit. And we're still relatively new, but one cool thing that happened is the one neighbor to the right of us, his name is Eric, and one day I saw him and he said, hey, I'm going out of town and could you roll my trash can up on Friday? Because I'm going to be out of town, and I don't want people to look like, you know, I'm out of town. And so I said, sure thing, and we exchanged phone numbers. And soon we're going we're gonna to have him over. It was all very natural. And it seems like such a small thing, rolling someone's trash can up for them while they're gone on vacation. But it's actually a significant thing. It's a step in the direction of a loving relationship. All relationships have to start somewhere. And I know it's awkward. If you've been living in your, your neighborhood for 15 years and you don't know any of your neighbors, I know it feels like higher pressure, but it's okay. All you have to do is swallow your pride, go up and say, hey, look for those interactions. Reintroduce yourself. I, I know it can, be, it can be painful. I know some of you might have reached out in the past and nobody seems interested. Sometimes we get called up because we think, no, people should be coming over to my house and welcoming me because I'm new. But one of my friends, he has this saying, love goes first. Love steps into the awkwardness and knocks on the door. Love risks rejection. Love doesn't wait for someone else to initiate a relationship. Love initiates a relationship. That's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus, he didn't wait for us down here to get all of our stuff together and say, Jesus, we need you. Please come down here. No. While we were still sinners, Jesus came into this world to save us. Love went first. 
And now God is calling us to love our neighbors with that same love of Jesus. He's calling us to go first and to begin getting to know them. And so I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to get to know one of your neighbors better, to take that next step towards a loving relationship. And the name, it can sound so insignificant to just know somebody's name. But knowing someone's name in a relationship is a game changer. Because the conversation moves from, hey, hey bro, hey man, how's it going buddy? It goes from that to, hey Matt, how's it going? Hey Matt, how's your family? We'd love to have you over sometime. Hey Matt, I'm so sorry to hear that. Could I pray for you? Knowing someone's name can change the dynamic in a relationship. And it can put you on a progression to begin loving them with the love of Jesus. And love goes first. But as you begin doing this, I want to give you a warning that as you begin loving other people, the people who are right next door with the love of Jesus, things might change for you. You might begin seeing that kid who's always roaming the neighborhood at odd hours, you might begin seeing him in a different light. Instead of coming home and rushing in the door and spending more time on projects, you might actually slow down when you pull in the driveway and begin spending more time with people. It might make it harder to move when that day finally comes. But here's one thing I believe. God has placed us where we are on purpose and for a purpose. God has placed us where we are on purpose and for a purpose. And when you begin believing that, things will change for you. You won't view your house the same. You won't view your neighborhood the same. You won't view these doors the same. Again, you won't view your spiritual gifts the same. You won't view ministry the same. Because instead of seeing your house as simply an enclave for your family, instead you'll see it as a base for God's mission in your neighborhood. Instead of seeing your spiritual gifts as something that you bring to church and that you have, to, you have to use inside of the walls of the church for the church, instead you'll see that God wants you to use your spiritual gifts with the people who are around you. You'll begin seeing that you don't have to have the church's blessing upon ministry and you don't have to have our vote. All you have to do is begin loving the people right around you. And as you begin doing this, as you begin praying for the Holy Spirit to open doors, to open literal doors with your neighbors, things will begin to change because you'll begin to discover that that person who has weeds in their yard up to the hips now, that person has depression. And they would love 
someone to come alongside of them and help them. What you'll discover is that house that has toys everywhere, all over the yard, all the time, that actually that's a family who's fostering two children. And if you would come and provide them some support and some babysitting, they would be extremely grateful. You'll discover that that one woman who's always peering out of her blinds, you know the one? You'll discover that she's really lonely. And she's pretty isolated. And she would just love to have you as a friend, someone to talk with on a regular basis. God's calling us to love the people who live next door to us. So this week, I want you to to step out of your comfort zone. Step out in faith. Be bold. Love goes first. And look, some of your neighbors, you're going to go to them, try to strike up a conversation, try to have a relationship, and they're going to be too busy and they're not going to want anything to do with you. And that's okay. Some of your neighbors, they're going to be very slow to open up to you. And it might even take years. Still there's others who are going to receive you with open arms. And God is going to use you and that loving relationship in a transformational way. We can't control how people will respond to love. But we can control how we respond to God's command to love. So let's do that this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, that you loved us so much that that you sent him into this world to save us, to rescue us, even when we weren't necessarily looking for redemption. We weren't even really sure that we needed it. God, thank you that his love went first. Thank you for making us recipients of that love. And God, now that we've received that love, I pray that we as a church would begin stepping out of our comfort zones with that same love and that we could begin loving our neighbors. God, it's such a simple command. But we know that the implications are huge. And so we ask that you would begin creating opportunities for us to just see our neighbors. God, for so many of us, we don't even see each other anymore. We pray that you would open up opportunities where we can just say, hey, where we can get to know their names, begin getting to know their stories, begin getting to know them. God, for those of us who know our neighbors, we pray that you would help us open up our hearts, open up our homes, that we would be hospitable in a new way. God, I pray that this wouldn't be true just for us in our individual homes, but that this would be true for us as a church, that in this community, that we would begin loving those people who are right around us with the love of your son, Jesus Christ, love that is radical, love that is sacrificial, love that is generous, Love that cost your son 
his whole life. God, give us that kind of boldness, that kind of love. God, give us hearts of compassion to see people, to help meet their needs, and to do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Revelation 22:20. He who testifies to these things say, I am coming.